Welcome to Episode 7 of Light in the Dark, an unofficial Star Wars podcast about one man's hyperspace journey through the entirety of Star Wars canon, hopefully within the span of one year. I'm your host and the guy who accidentally drank the blue milk, Dan McGillen. First off, let's start with the quote of the week um, from last week. The quote of the week last week was from Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, and the quote was, Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. This week, my good friend Brian got it right and identified that it was Obi-Wan Kenobi who said it. So for something a little different this week, uh, the quote this week is from the film Rogue One. And the quote is, I've got a bad feeling about... Do you know who said it? Let me know either at dan at lightinthedark.com or in the comments in the project spreadsheet for Rogue One. And if you're correct and the first one to get it right, I will share your name in the next episode. So this week's a little going to be a little lighter compared to last week. We had quite a few topics then. Um, this time we only have two. Uh, the first one being, what did I enjoy this week? And it's going to be a very Star Wars Rebels-centric uh, thing. Because, well, honestly, that everything I read and watched this week was Star Wars Rebels-related. Including, actually, another very strange item... Uh, maybe not quite as strange as the board book with sounds from last week, but still a pretty strange item. And the second thing, then, would be catching up on some of the previously enjoyed works uh, be- that set are-, are set between Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, and Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. But first, let's do the project update. So I completed 30 items this week, the number that was needed, plus a few extra beyond that to make up some of the difference which puts current progress at 486 out of 639 items expected at this point, leaving me floating right around the 150 items behind that I have been for some time now. Uh, So what did I accomplish this week? It's all Rebels all the time. First up was uh, one of the more complex to get things that that I've read so far, which is the Star Wars Rebels Storybook Library. So this one's kind of weird because it contains eight different books, but only seven that actually count for the project. Uh, The first book, Chopper Saves the Day, doesn't really count for project progress this week because, as it turns out, I had previously read a different release of the same book. Different cover, same title, same words, same pictures inside and all of that. Um, It was a Kindle version that I read before myself, and the only one actually out of all of these books that's available on Kindle. And it appears to have been published probably as a paperback for kids. Um, the books in the Star Wars Rebels storybook library all are hardback versions, of course. So that leaves books two through seven. So Art Attack, Entanglement, Property of Ezra Bridger, Ezra's Wookiee Rescue, TIE Fighter Trouble, and The Inquisitor's Trap, which are all sort of unique to this collection. Uh, in that there aren't alternate versions of the exact same book available outside of this collection. But having said that, weirdly, uh, Ezra's Wookiee Rescue actually has some of the text in the book in common with the read-along storybook of the same name, but the books aren't identical. The art and the actual uh, text is not entirely identical, but sections of it are. So that's kind of weird. And the eighth book, actually, in this uh, collection of storybooks uh, is called Who Are the Rebels? It's bios of the main characters with a lot of details, I'm assuming left out on purpose so as not to spoil later episodes of the series, and some shorter bios of some of the ancillary characters as well to pad out the the page count. Uh, 
I'm not counting this particular book as part of canon um, because it doesn't tell a story. That seems to be in the Wikipedia article about uh, Star Wars canon. That seems to be the thing that really defines what is what can be considered a, a work in canon versus what can't, is that it does need to tell a story. So it's not really a thing I've talked about a lot previously on the podcast. There's things like, you know, tons of sticker books and coloring books, encyclopedias, and all kinds of things that exist. But these other items, they, they state the facts of the story in a non-narrative form. In addition to it being nearly impossible to track all of these things down, they really don't tell a story, and so they therefore don't really add anything to canon, at least not anything that's not present from the other actual canon stories. So as far as I'm concerned, they aren't part of the project, in particularly because it would be really, really difficult, if not impossible, to even identify what all these things are. And secondly, because they don't add anything that isn't already present from the actual story versions of the story. Uh, so this book in particular, even though it was bundled with other books that are part of canon, I wouldn't really consider it canon or even really in scope for this project. Another youth-oriented book I read this week has one of the longest titles of a Star Wars book that I've encountered so far. That's Star Wars Rebels, The Secret Jedi, The Adventures of Canon Jarrus, Rebel Leader. A title which, in addition to being absurdly long, also contains three colons. I left out the initial Star Wars Rebels on the title in the spreadsheet because it seems to be easier to find information about it online with, without that text included, but it does seem that references to the book being mentioned both ways do seem to exist. But the title is by far not the weirdest thing about this book. The cover proudly proclaims, hey, this has your own holocron, and indeed... There's a little tear flap on the inside front cover that reveals a holocron made out of thick, shiny cardboard. If you open this up correctly, which I will note I failed to do so and managed to actually tear a piece away from it, from the glue holding it together, despite actually handling it very carefully, uh, and no one had previously handled it or opened the tear flap in the copy of the book that I got, by the way, you get a code that you can enter on the website, thesecretjedi.com, to get access. So that's great, except the site doesn't actually resolve to anything anymore. Or more accurately, it does, but it's a landing page that has nothing to do with what's actually supposed to be there. Clearly, they let the domain lapse at some point, which is kind of disappointing. Honestly, this is the thing I, I wish that uh, Disney and a lot of other companies would do better about. Um, as you may have heard somewhere referenced, uh, the original Space Jam website for the Warner Brothers uh, Looney Tunes movie that was released back in the 90s is still online in all of its ridiculous glory, uh, its web 1.0 uh, goodness. Having said that, you know, this book was only released like five years ago, and the site's already gone. And you know, the, knowing what's on the site, there's not much there. It's not like it would be a huge amount of storage. It's not like it would be a huge uh, cost to Disney to continue to keep the site online. I mean, you're talking about, you know, 20 bucks a year to renew the domain or whatever, and then a cost of hosting it somewhere alongside your other properties on a web server that probably doesn't get accessed much. And I think that's ultimately the reason why they chose to take it down. Because it is another, you know, vulnerability and place that someone could try to hack into. Having said that, it's a fairly, uh, fairly 
non-dynamic uh, website. Uh, as it turns out, it's actually available on archive.org in the uh, Internet's, uh, Internet Archive's Wayback Machine on archive.org. They have the site saved. And as it turns out, the codes from the book work to gain access. Now, I don't actually know for sure if the Holocron includes a different code in a different copy of the book, or if it's the same code printed in every copy. My suspicion is it's probably the same code printed in every copy, because that would have been easier to deal with from a production standpoint. Uh, but even if not, clearly there's it's not backed by a database or anything. It seems to be hard-coded somewhere in a JavaScript file or something. So... It ends up that the, even though the site has been offline, the version on archive.org from the Wayback Machine actually still sort of works. You can enter in the, the code, and it will take you into the main page of the site. Um, having said that, most images don't load. The background of the pages load, which is like a star field kind of a background, and the background sound, which is about a 45-second long MP3 file, also loads and plays in the background. And indeed, many of the video clips do as well on the individual pages. Um, so what what is this book exactly? So the, this book retells the story from episodes 1, 2, and 5 of season 1 of Star Wars Rebels. And throughout the story, there's random footnotes that lead to content on the website on various different pages. So there's a page about, you know... Jedi powers, there's a page about characters, etc., etc. So each of these footnotes, if you go to ent the entry with that particular number on that particular page, uh, of whichever topic it is based on the symbol that's shown, then it will have some expository text telling you more about, okay, you know, this is who Yoda was or whatever. Um, and then in some cases, even a video clip. In fact, quite a bit of the uh, links don't actually have text on the site. They simply have a video clip from Star Wars Rebels. Now, these are clips snipped right out of the episodes that make up the uh, the story in this in this book. So there's really nothing here that's not already present in the episodes. Um, this book is more of a curiosity than anything else. But I still think it's an interesting one. Uh, I think it's interesting that even so recently as, you know, five years ago, they would come out with a version of a book like this that had a password built into it and and what they chose to do so that that's that's one of the pieces that uh i got to do this week another thing that came up a lot because we're still fairly early in star wars rebels is video games so it looks like early in the run of star wars rebels disney made a lot of what i'm going to call flash style tie-in games some of these are still available and others just aren't anymore it seems so from this week, um, the games that were in the section of canon that I was working were Star Wars Rebels, Rebels Strike, which is no longer available. Uh, it is possible to find a full playthrough of the two campaigns, with, which each have five missions, that are available on YouTube. Basically, Star Wars Rebels, Rebels Strike is a tactical RPG-style game with square-based movement and turns. So you move to a location, you, that you moves your, uses your action points, you take an action, like fire a blaster, that uses another action point, or you move twice, that sort of thing. And the different characters in your squad have different abilities based on the characters from the show. Um, so that's the first game. Uh, like I said, you can find all of that on YouTube. Not a problem. Uh, second one is Star Wars Rebels Recon Missions. 
This one also not available anymore. So it's an odd one in that it's an action platformer kind of a game, which has a uh, town town building simulation kind of hub level that you take missions from and go do the levels from. Um, that one, uh, there are also playthroughs available on YouTube that you can find as well. The third one is called Star Wars Rebels Team Tactics. So that one uh, has levels 1 through 20 still available online. Um, they're from the looks of it, either there may have been more at one time. Um, the catch being with this game, I can't find it on Disney's site officially anymore. I can only find it on a bunch of other Flash game type websites. So it's possible that the version that they're hosting just doesn't have the additional levels that were released later, but I don't actually know for sure that other ones were. Um, it clearly was their intention because they show like levels 21 through 30 coming soon. Uh, I don't know if that was ever done or not. Uh, can't seem to find any references one way or another or a version of the game that has those unlocked in them. So uh, hard to say. In any case, Star Wars Rebels Team Tactics is an action puzzle platformer. So you play every level as three characters, uh, Ezra, Sabine, and Zeb. So Ezra has the ability to squeeze into small spaces, and he also has the ability to use the force to move specific objects around. Zeb has the ability to jump higher, and he can also function as kind of like a platform for the other characters, so you can crouch down and characters can use him as a stepping stool of sorts. And Sabine can throw explosives to break down things blocked in your way. So all of the levels have some level or some combination of the use of the various abilities of these characters uh, as a way to try and work your way through the level with the characters. And then at the end, all three characters have to actually arrive at the exit to the level to finish. So I actually got to play through this. It's a, it's a fun game. The most complex level I ran into had you using everything you'd learned so far kind of all at once. Uh, Ezra has to move a box onto and off of a switch using the force, which lowers and raises a platform. And you have to use that platform to carry a barrel up to the top of the level where a conveyor belt will then carry it over to knock over a tall metal piece. And then you need to knock over another tall metal piece to complete the path. So what's tricky about that and what I struggled to figure out for a while was that it's tricky not to knock over the uh, second piece that you're supposed to knock over first. And if you do that, it causes it to fall into a pit if the first one there hasn't already tipped over for it to be caught. So I actually got stuck on that level for quite some time. But anyway, it was it was a cute idea, fairly, fairly clever, um, fairly well put together. Uh, curious, again, if there are more levels than uh, 20. I'm, if anyone's out there that's seen this game or played this game and knows that there were more, please do let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Dan at lightinthedark.com. So the fourth game uh, is Star Wars Rebels Strike Missions. So of the, of the games, this one is probably my favorite, and I'm actually sort of pleased that it was one that is still fully available and able to be played. Uh, it is a 30 levels run and gun shooter. So sort of like uh, the old uh, NES game Contra crossed with the old NES game Double Dragon. So you have free movement up and down within the width of, of the screen. Um, and then the ability then to use your abilities to fight the enemies. Um, it appears that this game actually used to have a premium currency that you could use to unlock special abilities and extra characters that you could play as. 
at some point, in, that seems to have been removed. So the premium currency, there's no way that I could find to collect it within the game, and there's also no way to purchase it within the game. So because of that, you really only have the ability to play as Ezra and Zeb now when you play through, the, through it. The game is definitely generous with its primary um, primary currency to let you uh, get enough to upgrade the characters, to improve them in the early game. And that would be kind of my one criticism of the game, which is that it's very quick to get credits early in the game, which helps you unlock the uh, full potential of the characters, and it makes the gameplay trivial for the rest of the game once you understand how it's played and how to avoid getting hurt very much. And you've upgraded, particularly Ezra specifically. Um, I mean, it's possible to play through a Zeb, and I did a few levels that way, but I've definitely found playing as Ezra to be more effective. Uh, the thing about all four of these games, so they're technically considered canon, but all of them are very, very thin on plot. And what I mean by that is that they do try to talk about uh, the, the storyline or a storyline of some sort. Having said that, though, um, in particular, three of them aren't even associated with a particular set of episodes. Um, the assumption I'm making as to why they are slotted where they are in the canon list on Wikipedia, it seems to revolve around what characters and situations have been introduced at that point in the story. And so once those characters have been introduced, then we make the assumption that, okay, then it must be after that first episode where that one particular character is introduced or whatever. Uh, one of the games, I believe it was Star Wars Rebels Strike Missions, actually is supposed to be a retelling of uh, episodes one and two of season two of the show. Uh, it's a very, 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 very loose retelling. It doesn't really cover much of what happens other than setting and characters, but it's not particularly deep or it doesn't tell you the story. Um, these are all kind of fun as curiosities. I would definitely say they're not a critical part of a, a trip through canon. You're not missing out on anything or, you know, not knowing what would happen uh, to the characters during a chunk of time. Uh, these are fairly, in the case of three of them, fairly generic missions just overall. Hey, we're on Lothal stopping the Empire from doing bad things, and that's about it. I mean, very, very paper-thin plot on all four of these. So uh, the other thing uh, this week that I spent a lot of time on was actual episodes of Star Wars Rebels. So Season 1, Episodes 11 through 15, and Season 2, Episodes 1 through 8, which totals 13 episodes. So almost half of what I did this week uh, was actually watching these. Um, it continues to have a really high quality to it. I think uh, this is really some of the best Star Wars that there has been made. Uh, it's very. It fills in a lot of uh, ideas about the, the world leading up to Episode 4 of the, the film, A New Hope. Uh, helps you see how much of trouble the galaxy is in. Not much more to say about that at the at this moment. Um, so this week also was a Forces of, of Destiny episode, which has Ahsoka actually giving Ezra a lesson in how to fight, uh, and also a Galaxy of Adventures video, which has Darth Vader fighting the the Rebel fleet which uh, it's called uh, Darth Vader versus the Rebel Fleet Fearsome Fighter Pilot, which retells a portion of Season 2, Episode 2, actually. Uh, but oh, like all of the Galaxy of Adventures, it's kind of animated in a different style. 
and is kind of fun from that perspective. Um, and they're all, you know, short little bite-sized episodes, so it's not a big deal uh, to, to, you know, knock all of those out in one sitting. It would take less time to do that than to watch uh, any of the movies, actually. So next up is the young reader's novel Always Bet on Chopper, which is a retelling of season one, episode 11. And the two last two uh, Servants of the Empire novels, Imperial Justice and The Secret Academy. As I think I had mentioned in the last episode, um, these weave really nicely with uh, the actual Star Wars Rebels story, but following a different character that's not part of the, uh, the Ghost's crew. So uh, Secret Servants of the Empire Imperial Justice weaves in with Season 1, Episode 12 really nicely, and Servants of the Empire The Secret Academy weaves in with Season 1, Episodes 13 through 15. And that actually finishes the uh, set of four Servants of the Empire novels at that point. Then there's the uh, Battle to the End junior novel, which retells Season 1, Episodes 13 through 15, uh, which tells the rebel side of the same story that's being told in the Secret Academy. So that's kind of cool. Um, just having, uh, I mean, obviously it's still the, the version in the show, I would say is the canonical version, the primary version. But Servants of the Empire of the Secret Academy tells a different part of the story and it, with a different focus. And then, of course, the novelization of that, the junior novelization of that battle to the end is yet another version of it um, with not a lot different from the TV show. So not necessarily necessary, but uh, still nice. So that's that's what I did this week as far as new content. Um, obviously, the last few weeks, because I've had uh, my interview with Matt and other things to talk about, I uh, didn't really go back and fill in some of these uh, previously read and watched things. So th- this week, I'd like to actually do that. Um, this is covering anything I haven't already talked about that falls in the time between uh, the end of Attack of the Clones, and prior to Revenge of the Sith. So between episodes two and three, the films. So a wide variety of content here. Um, Some of it is actually stuff that originally was intended to be part of uh, the Clone Wars show before it was canceled and then eventually brought back. So uh, let's start off with some of the comics here. So the comic story 501 plus 1, which is a Jar Jar-focused story, and the comic story Sisters, which has Ventress as a bounty hunter around the time that she ends up helping um, uh, helping Ahsoka during uh, the Clone Wars series. Uh, both of those are contained in the Age of Republic special number 1. So both those comic stories. Uh, the comic Age of Republic General Grievous number 1, which it's kind of a uh, a short little story. I will say, though, it really drives home just kind of how sad and alone General Grievous actually is. Uh, I mean, he's not particularly well-liked by the people he works for. He's not well-liked by the Republic, obviously. And I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'd re- really like to see and know more about General Grievous's history and backstory. I think that would be very interesting. And it's not covered nearly nearly so in-depth as some of the other villains. For example, oh, uh, you know, Darth Maul. <laughs> so, but it, but it's a, it's a fun story. Uh, so I highly recommend that, Age of Republic General Grievous number one. Of course, that's a Marvel comic, so it's available on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, the next several 
stories are actually from the IDW Star Wars Adventures comic series. So we have the stories Intermission Part 1 and Intermission Part 2 from issues 12 and 13 of the IDW Star Wars Adventures series. That's a fun little uh, Padme and Anakin adventure. It gives gives you another view and perspective on what their relationship is like when they go on a mission together. Uh, And then we have the short stories Roger Roger from IDW Star Wars uh, Adventures number 19, which is a fun little Obi-Wan story set in the Clone Wars. And then we have Hide and Seek from IDW Star Wars Adventures number 20, which has got a pairing you don't really see much, and I actually really liked this one. It has Anakin and Yoda together in a story set in the time of the Clone Wars. It's really interesting to see the interplay and the talk between the two of them, Um, because that's not a thing that really happens a ton in the series otherwise. Uh, next up in the comics that were part of this uh, previous, you know, between episode two and three, was Darth Maul, Son of Dathomir, number one through four. So this one was really confusing to me. Um, it's yet more Darth Maul content. So obviously there's been a lot of that uh, in the Clone Wars era, but I'm kind of having a little bit of trouble figuring out exactly where it goes in the story because I, I read these comics originally long before the arcs in the Clone Wars show that brought him back. Um, obviously, it clearly takes place after he has gotten normal mechanical legs back, and it appears to take place after he creates the Shadow Collective, but sometime between then and the Siege of Bandalore. Uh, but all of it seems to be... I, I'm just not exactly clear where it happens in time, too, too specifically in relation to some of the other things that happen. Uh, once I go back to make my Darth Maul list of all the places that he appears and kind of put everything in order, I... I plan to, to revisit all these things to try and understand his story in a more a clear fashion because it was very scattershot um, because of things like reading these comics and then it was a long time before I got to those actual episodes of the Clone Wars uh, so then we have uh, Age of Republic Padme Amidala number one which is a Padme side story it's fairly unremarkable but it's fine um, pretty good and we have Canon numbers 7 through 11. As I think I mentioned last week, you know, Canon number 6 and number 12 take place in the actual uh, Star Wars Rebels timeline. 7 through 11, aside from brief flash forwards to show, you know, Canon swirling around in a Bacta tank, otherwise it takes place uh, before and around the uh, timing of Revenge of the Sith. So it starts off with explaining. Um, how Kanan got picked as Depa Bilaba's Padawan. It shows them bonding on a mission. It ultimately shows uh, Order 66 happening and Depa Bilaba basically sacrificing herself for Kanan to escape. And then shows kind of how he survives after that. So it's a it's an interesting uh, backstory for Kanan and uh, it was kind of nice to actually go back through these again to remember what happened uh, particularly because it's so relevant to what's going on now. It shows why Canon is so distrustful of, of the clones, for example. Um, fairly good story. Uh, and, and of course, at the time I originally read this, I had no familiarity with Star Wars Rebels whatsoever. So none of the other characters that were in the flashback or flash forwards, I guess, uh, did I really know who they were at that point. Uh, so moving along, we've got the short story Kindred Spirits, which is contained in Dark, uh, Dark Disciple. It is a fun, venturous short story that takes place sometime during her time as a bounty hunter. Um, Next up is the novel Dark Disciple, 
which is a great Ventress story. Um, this is actually the one that really got me interested in her as a character. It shows the links that also, I think it's great in that it shows the links that the Jedi will actually go to in order to stop the war. They're willing to violate their own principles. Um, and we're going to get, let me get into a little bit of the details of what happens in the story. The Jedi actually send one of their own to basically trick Ventress into working together with him to go face uh, Count Dooku and attempt to kill him and assassinate him. And they actually go to attempt to do so twice and fail both times. Uh, Cause obviously we know uh, he lives up until the point that Anakin decides he shouldn't anymore. So this novel was apparently an abandoned Clone Wars TV story. Uh, but I think it actually is just as well that it was made in a novel form. Um, the TV show, of course, being uh, TVPG, uh, had some limitations that potentially uh, this novel was able to avoid. Um, the complexity of the relationship between uh, Ventress and uh, the Jedi that ends up basically betraying the Jedi Order to do his mission for the Jedi Order. It's very confusing. Um, the, the relationship between them is kind of complex and a little bit more adult than what would be handled on the Clone Wars TV show, I think. Uh, and, and just in general, it was a really a really great insight into Ventress's character and how much she as a character has lost over the course of all of her involvement and everything that's been going on throughout the story. So that was really cool. Next up was the novel Catalyst, a a Rogue One novel, which is a great novel, Um, covers the history of Galen Erso's life, particularly his life post-college and starting out in, in a career, uh, also shows Jin Erso's early life when she's a very young child, and ultimately uh, Galen and Galen's wife and Jin's uh, flight from the Empire when they discovered what it was Galen's work was being used for, you know, Project Stardust, Stardust also known as the Death Star. So uh, Catalyst is intended to be kind of a companion piece to Rogue One, and I think it's a fantastic one. I think it also does a really good job of telling you more about how much the Republic had been twisted because the early parts of this novel take place before uh, the Empire exists during the time of the Republic, during the Clone Wars, in fact. Uh, And the later parts, of course, take place uh, farther on um, after the Empire is in place. Uh, So it it was a really good novel, one of the better ones, I think, in my my opinion, one of the better ones I've read in the series. Let's see. And then uh, there were a number of forces of destiny. And again, just a reminder, those are the um, what I'm going to call girl power or female empowerment kind of stories. Um, I think it's because of the presence of both Ahsoka and Padme in this part of the uh, storyline that they end up having quite a number of these specifically keyed into this this point in the timeline. Um, Specifically, though, we have the the uh, forces of destiny shorts teach you i will where ahsoka duels yoda as a as a training exercise the uh imposter inside which is a story about uh padme coming to ahsoka for help with something that she's doing and uh how that goes wrong and how ahsoka is able to help and save padme uh that one in particular is especially interesting because in addition to the actual short the imposter inside 
There's also a comic retelling it in the Star Wars Forces of Destiny number four comic, uh, entitled Ahsoka and Padme. And then there is also a junior reader story called Forces of Destiny Daring Adventures, Volume 1, Part 3, Padme, which is, again, the same story. So that same story that doesn't take place in a Clone Wars episode actually has three tellings, all of them under the uh, Forces of Destiny branding. So then we have the short Unexpected Company, uh, where we find out from Ahsoka and Anakin and Padme, all three going on an adventure together, that... Ahsoka clearly knows about Anakin and Padme, um, which means that it seems that Yoda probably knows about Anakin and Padme, and Obi-Wan knows about Anakin and Padme, and Rex knows about Anakin and Padme. Basically, everyone knows about Anakin and Padme, which is kind of funny considering, you know, he's been trying to keep it secret, and ultimately everyone already knows, and if he could have just talked about it, it might not have had the same outcome that it did in any case uh that's a that's a fun one um and then the starfighter stunt which actually has ahsoka and padme do flying lessons together is another fun one so next one then would be the padawan path uh which is another one that actually has a second uh second version of that same story so in addition to the short the padawan path there is also the junior readers uh story forces of destiny daring adventures volume two specifically part one ahsoka uh, which has Ahsoka helping people on her way to a Jedi ceremony, basically. And Anakin waiting for her and feeling anxious that she's not there yet, and she's busy basically saving the day. So anyway, that gets us actually up to the time at which point we are talking about uh, things that take place during Revenge of the Sith. Um, so that will be where I pick up next time with trying to catch up previous canon that's been done. Uh but that's what I so that's what I've got this week. A lot of stuff on the list, I know. Um, the other thing that's kind of been on my mind lately is uh, the concept of social justice themes and things like that in the Star Wars universe. So it has not escaped my attention, and I'm not sure if it's because my attention is more on these issues due to the things going on in the news right now, obviously, uh, right now in July, uh, 2020, we've been seeing a lot of, uh, questions about police conduct and police brutality, racism, a lot of things along those lines. Um, it strikes me as interesting. And obviously these stories, again, the vast majority of what we're talking about is stuff that's been released since 2014. And some of it's been released as recently as this year, but even for the stuff that's been released this year, I would find it very hard to believe that, that it was immediately done in reaction to things that were going on in the current time. I think this the lead time for publication is just too long for that to be practical or reasonable. So with that in mind, um, it, these stories seem to do a lot of focus on how the Empire uh, treats its people. And it talks about um, justice and decency and people with power using that power in good ways and people with power using their power in bad ways. And it, it, uh, like I said, I don't know if I'm noticing these themes more than I otherwise would, uh, simply because of the current times, or if it's, if it's that these stories are deliberately having more of a focus. Now I will, I will say 
there has definitely been a lot more effort to create a lot more nuance in uh, these stories as compared to the original ones. I mean, if you look at A New Hope, it's pretty clear the intention behind A New Hope is empire bad, rebellion good. You're not given a lot of reasons to think that the empire is a reasonable uh, government or a fair government. In fact, I mean, they kind of go out of their way. <laughs> you know, Leia is just saying she's just a, on a on a diplomatic mission and they're, you know, torturing her. Um, they take her to her home planet and they literally blow it up, killing billions of people. I mean, it's very clear they're, they're attempting from the get-go to make it very clear, empire bad. No, what, no matter what else they do, whatever good possible things the empire could do, the empire in these stories is supposed to be the bad guy. And the rebels are supposed to be the good guys. Um, I don't think that carries as much in the more recent stuff. There is a lot more nuance. Um, I'm actually in the middle of reading the uh, Leia Princess of Alderaan book, and one of the things I'm seeing is there's a lot of energy uh, expended by Leia in these in these stories uh, with her trying to figure out what is the right thing to do. And indeed, there's a lot of people in the rebellion that are debating what is the right thing to do. And their concerns revolve around how do you stop the empire without resorting to violence? And the answer is you probably can't. So what violence is considered acceptable? What violence is considered appropriate? Um, and it's a topic that kind of is being noodled over by many different characters. And Leia herself is struggling to understand her parents' role in all of this. Um, but so it's it's not quite so strictly, you know, empire bad rebellion good and in fact even in uh the novel lost stars because you know i can't have an episode of the show without mentioning that novel uh <laughs> but uh that 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 album has uh, album wow no that novel has a huge uh focus on what it's like to actually be in the empire and be a soldier in the empire and and have people that you're friends with blow up with the Death Star. Um, and even though the characters ultimately are upset that the Empire would that they work for would be willing to do this, they do go along with it. Um, so it, it presents a little bit more nuanced view of the individuals in the Empire. I mean, I don't think there's any question or you, you don't ever go, I clearly Palpatine has everyone's best interests in mind. No one's no one's saying that. I think the question becomes whether individual actors in the state uh do or not and in, in indeed in fact in, at the point in Leia that I'm at uh, we find out that uh, Panaka one of Padme's uh, guards in uh, the time when she was queen he has become a moth which when I first read his name I, I kind of had to pause a little bit because it was it was tough for me to understand or, or to, to imagine that character now being you know a government agent of some sort. It didn't seem to fit with what I knew about his character from before. But the question comes up when that character dies, you know, was that an appropriate action to take by the rebellion or should it have not happened? So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Like I said, there's, there's more nuance to it. Um, they are also doing a better job of showing all the various things that the empire actually specifically does without 
without resorting to having to s just say, look, they blew up Alderaan. Yes, because that is clearly really bad. I mean, on the scale of that tragedy compared to things that have happened in our own world, there are only very few things that have ever happened that are comparable. Um, and obviously scope and scale being larger uh, for, you know, literally billions of people dying. But the same idea is still present, I think. So I don't know. It's uh, It's been giving me a lot of, of time to think and and forcing me to think a lot about our government and how it acts, um, what the role of a government even should be. Um, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. But in any case, I, I do think it's interesting that they have included uh, this sort of commentary. I think it's very easy with, with things like this. Uh, you know, effect, effectively uh, is space adventure fiction for there not to be any major consequences um, for the story to just say, you know, hey, yay, we're shooting lasers in space. We, you know, we're space wizards waving our lightsabers around and whatever. Uh, but having the stakes and things matter more to the average person in, in the galaxy far, far away, I think that's, that's a very interesting and deliberate choice that I think the story group must have made. Um, and I, I hope that other people see it that way too and uh, appreciate it for what it is anyway that's just my thoughts for today uh, hope you all enjoy this episode and uh, look forward to the next one have a great week talk to you soon